And the time now is 12 minutes after 10 o'clock. You're very welcome back to Northwest Today. Well, I was just having a chat off air with our next guest, Liam Feeney, in relation to lawns at the minute. And I was explaining to Liam maybe how it probably took the unwise course of action, if we can call it that, of getting the lawnmower out the other evening and trying to cut the grass while it was a little bit wet. And God, Liam, it was a frustrating experience. And then when I had it almost three quarters way through it, I remember a piece that you did with Nile last year and you said, leave it, wait until the grass gets dry. And I said to myself, why am I only remembering this now? So that's probably good advice that not enough of people listen to Liam. Good morning to you. Good morning, John. And I'll bring you in a bit closer to the mic. I'm great. And I can just imagine at this stage as well, Liam, everybody going out into the gardens, maybe some like myself trying to mow lawns, but you can really see it now over the last few days. Garden season, it's revving up a little bit. Well, there's no doubt about that. I mean, last week we had probably the worst storm we had all winter and it gave everybody a setback. But the funny thing about it is, even in wet weather, gardening doesn't stop. I mean, probably the best time to plant is when the soil is moist. It's probably the best time. Truth of it is, a lot of people are moving out into garden centres now. They're buying plants and it's very often the case that a dry spell will follow a wet spell and if they're not looking after their plant, if they're not watering it quite frequently, it's hard to believe, but we are talking about keeping the young plant alive. So they may need watering. If you're buying plants all the next week, they're given a fairly good week. So... uh, The earlier you get your plants into the garden, the more you benefit from them in that particular year. You can get out and you can benefit from whatever plant you plant, providing you look after it. Now, I suppose what's very important, and last week we went straight into questions, but it's a great time to watch how your your daffodils are. The big daffodils, they're going off now. So I think I've done an awful lot of thinking about the daffodils. Truth of it is, a mixed bag of daffodils isn't ideal. If you're going to put in a display of daffodils, put in a, uh, the one type in that particular area, then move to another area, put in another type of daffodils. But the tall daffodils at the front of a border, they're not ideal. They need to go way back to a deciduous plant or to the back of the border. That way they get lost when the new growth comes on. Well, that's interesting because in our garden at home, we've made the mistake, maybe now I'm after learning, of having the daffodils at the front of the garden. And I know from year on year, they can be, well, by the time they come out, it can vary an awful lot. And what you're after describing there, the, the, the strength of the daffodils, the height of them, that can vary an awful lot as well year on year. Definitely daffodils. When you choose a variety, take Dutch Master. It's one of the oldest daffodils. It's a it's a good lemon orange daffodil. But truth of it is, it needs to go way back to the back of a border. It will give you your your interest in that particular time of the year that it's in flowering. But there's no point in then considering, oh God, these daffodils are taking over and I need to cut them back because I have so much other nice plants coming on. Move them back to a deciduous plant. They are going to do their job. Uh, keep the smaller daffodils, tete-a-tete or whatever, in an area close to the front of the border so that they do get lost in other plants taking over because that's what's happening now. The other plants are actually starting to 
rise out of the ground, uh, plants that you might have even thought were dead, all of a sudden they're lifting out of the ground. All right, OK. I'm going to have some knowledge this evening when I go home now and we can start talking about daffodils. Let's move from daffodils to dandelions, would you believe, as well. And a uh, question for Liam and in relation to dandelions in the lawn. The lawn is absolutely covered with them. What can be done? Well, we talked about this last week with Niall. Truth of it is... If you are a person that wants to get rid of your dandelion, you're going to be using a chemical called Dicobar. Uh, I mean, you can't have it completely taken over. You will probably find that there's moss as well in that garden because dandelions love a mossy a mossy uh, mat uh, underneath, keeping the grass down, allowing the dandelion to do its job. But Dicobar is the chemical that's available to the gardener. It can be used any time from now on. It does the dandelions, it does the daisies, and it does the creeping buttercup. And that is the chemical that's available to the gardener. And again, I know people inevitably are going to be texting in, but all these chemicals are road testers and they're all um, safe for that use. Well, the gardener chemicals are much, much less potent than the chemical, for argument's sake, a professional user can use. It's for a reason, because if they were abused, they can be actually quite dangerous. Because what happens is... When you're using one of the more potent chemicals, very often you're going to the recycling centre with the grass. The chemical is actually there in the grass. Then the recycling centre are trying to uh, provide a compost, if you want to call it, but the chemical is actually still available and it goes through the it goes through the compost. Very often people are coming away with veggie mixes or whatever and that MCPA is the chemical. I mean, it's just at varying rates. So the MCPA follows through. It doesn't It doesn't kill itself altogether. All right, OK. Um, some more of the queries in as well. The flower beds um, are overgrowing as well with uh, top hills. Uh, what can be done to ten it out? Uh, they're overgrown with what? Now, I'll explain it to you again. It's T-U-P... ILS, whatever that is. I'm not sure. That could be a local name. I'm not sure. I never heard of it, John. But uh, what you do with your with your flower bed, I mean, you can use your glyphosate chemical. It is available to you. You can use your glyphosate chemical to uh, quell the weeds in the flower bed because or you can use uh, strength and you can go out with a spade and you can dig them out. That's a great... To be honest with you, there's nothing more therapeutic than going out with a spade or a grape and turning over soil. Enrich the soil Mm -hmm. and plant something that is more to your liking. Yeah, absolutely. And you're one with nature as well while you're doing it. And can I ask Liam as well, in relation to planting a laurel hedge, I have inquired and cannot find out where I can get same. Well, we have plenty of laurel. That's the one thing. We have absolutely plenty of laurel. The thing you need to know about laurel is it doesn't like wet conditions. And like all hedges, the truth of it is all hedges need to be fed. I mean, there is no getting away from soil health. You have to make your soil healthy. If it's heavy soil, uh, enrich it with something that's going to going to allow the worms to pull the nutrients down to the roots. If it's wet soil, be very careful. Choose the hedge that suits you. 
hydrangea. How would you know if it's dead? Well, uh, the hydrangeas, John, really and truly with the macrophylla types, they are the ones that have the big mop head are indeed lace cap. They're probably what that lady is talking about. You'll see the growth coming out from the bottom of it, even if the stems are dead higher up. Cut them back, but you should see the growth. At this stage, there should be leaves appearing at the base of the hydrangea. So it's very easy to detect. All you have to do is go and take a good look at it. All right. Um, can you ask Liam as well, what do you need to do after you've applied sulphate of iron and the moss is turned black? Well, John, there's always... I mean, you will not make an omelette without breaking eggs. That's for sure. So the, once you have the moss turned black... What we do is we fertilise the lawns, bring on the grass. The, the grass may have been struggling a little bit with the moss. I'm, I don't like scarifying. I do it on occasion, but definitely not on our own lawn. Keep on top of the moss twice a year, uh, three times a year if it's very bad, but twice a year most times. Moss, the, the sulphate of iron is a tonic. It'll turn it dark green. What you may need to introduce is fertiliser. I was going to ask you something about the Green Party, but we'll leave that farmer of green maybe to the political experts to see on some of the messages in here. Um, is When is a good time to clip back a newly planted hedge that was planted last year? I want to keep them below a wall until they're stronger. That's a good, that's a good principle that that listener is working on. They can be trimmed back now. If it's beach... Just wait until the leaves break. They're actually breaking now. They're throwing off their dead leaves. So you'll see the the copper leaf is starting to fall. They're breaking the new leaves. In fact, this morning I see that the new lime green leaves are coming out. With your evergreen hedges from now on, it's okay to prune your hedges. And it's advisable. All right, okay. For any time from now on. Any time from now on. Okay. Um, here's another interesting one as well, Liam. And again, bearing in mind maybe where, where we're living and based down in this part of the country. Would you ask Liam what he thinks about seaweed as fertiliser? Probably the very, very best, John. It's something that if you have seaweed, really and truly from November on, you should be applying it because it gets uh, stodgy, slippy, smelly, right? But at the same time, it's putting the iodine right down. The rain is going to bring the iodine right down. It's a great mulch. Seaweed is out on its own. Now, another message in here as well. Could you ask Liam if he's got the plant leather leaf in stock? Now, again, John, that's that's a local name. Uh, the chances are, if I get the name from that listener, I'll be able to tell you, but I'd say we have it in stock. Now, it sounds to me like it's Oleria or one of the other hedging plants. It could be it could be Eliagnus. They all have a tough leaf. I think that person is in a coastal garden. We have the plants, have the I plans. guess. Right. But always maybe just check in advance with you as well if they want to, to, to give you a call on that. Um, now, can I use seaweed now, just going back to the issue in relation oh, to seaweed? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I love seaweed. If we were closer to, uh, I mean, you're going to have your May storms now. There was probably one storm last week that turned a lot of seaweed up on the coast. Uh, if... It's a great, it's a great thing to use. Maybe you need to talk to some one of the seaweed harvesters to ensure that you're not taking their seaweed. Yeah. But it's a great, 
It's a great it fertiliser. Okay. Absolutely. All right, okay. That's interesting because there's a lot of uh, comments coming in now. You seem to have sparked off a lot of interest on that. Moving away from seaweed for the time being, another listener has made contact with us here. They have a rose thorn hedge. They tell us it's uh, well blooming at this stage. Is it too late to prune? No, it's not. I'd say that's Rosa Ragosa that listener has. It's a rose hedge uh, that will actually. Yeah, it's probably not blooming, but it is coming into growth. It's a good time to trim that hedge now. Don't trim it too hard. And make sure you have the green growth because that's where your buds are. Um, just in relation to another listener who is in trouble, they're telling us here with hedges as well. Laurel is what they have planted, believe it or not. Something that we spoke about a little bit earlier as well. And they're telling us that it's uh, dying on them time and time again. Any reasons for that? I reckon, John, that laurel is planted in wet soil. I'd have... I mean, it's a good thing if you're going to any garden centre, definitely ours. Take photographs and... If you have wet ground, it's a good idea to make what we used to call a ridge and plant your laurel on top of the ridge. It keeps the feet up out of the wet ground and they will go down when they need water. They will travel down until they come to the water table. Okay. Hedges again, very much dominating this morning, Liam. Um, When can you cut hedges around the garden? It's a good time now to start your pruning. I mean, I don't think we're going to get a frost. Certainly won't be a heavy frost. We're into the 18th or 20th of April. So uh, really and truly here along the northwest, we're not looking at frost. Good time to get in. Prune your hedge, feed your hedge. One goes hand in hand with the other. Fertiliser again, dominating the agenda here. Um, how often should you fertilise plants? Is there a danger of applying too much? There, if you're working on the organic principles, you're using an organic fertiliser, you will never over-apply if it's organic. If it's one of the chemical fertilisers, uh, stick to the instructions and definitely ask people that know what to do. Now, take for argument's sake your roses. They're coming into leaf now they can take fertilising probably once every six weeks, maybe even once every month. But you have to use the fertiliser suitable for the particular time. Speaking of fertiliser, I know in agricultural circles, you can certainly get a good strong smell of it at the minute out on certain fields. But again, when it comes to gardening, what's the best manure for vegetables? Um, horse or cow manure? Uh, cow manure wins hands down, but it needs to be uh, broken down. There's no point in putting fresh cow manure on. Uh, cabbage are not a plant that need cow manure this time of the year. Uh, there are certain plants, cabbage for one uh, carrots for another there are but potatoes brilliant uh, loaded on because uh, all of the the organisms in the soil will break down that uh, farmyard manure and then you'll have better soil it's all about soil health John yeah and to have that in, in the best possible shape it makes life so much easier oh, in the garden. Unbelievable. I mean, even in heavy soil, heavy soil will be heavy soil until you intervene and break it down with what it needs. It might be grit, it might be farmyard manure or whatever. But if you don't know the principles, ask. And it's always better just take that little bit of advice before. Take the advice. And I mean, even if it happens to be uh, the old man down the road that has been there and has done that and 
he probably is the best man to ask for advice because he knows a garden cannot be a garden without soil health. Uh, do you ever lament the fact, and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, do you ever lament the fact, Liam, that I suppose years ago, I remember growing up, there'd always be somebody who would be a renowned gardener in the neighbourhood, or maybe somebody who almost worked professionally as a gardener, such as yourself, and maybe not garden centres, but somebody who was a gardener on grounds or whatever, and there was always that bit of advice there. Are those home-grown experts, are they maybe a thing of the past hours, more people tending to come to garden centres such as yourself? I know the people are there. I mean, you brought it here to me, I, for an obvious reason, but the people are there. I mean, I worked with some mighty people, but no better than my mother or indeed my aunts and uncles. Uh, and you pick things up. If you have an interest, that's why I say, get a youngster to take the interest. If you have a youngster taking the interest, then you're going to have a gardener in the making. I mean, it's all... I, we work with great gardeners. I mean, from seven years of age, mm-hmm. I, I, Tom Hobson, I can talk about plenty of them. Maliki Alvey, Jerry Alvey, they were all over the place, but no better than my mother, in yeah, fairness. Absolutely. You know, I think it brings back an awful lot of nostalgia to a lot of people, that conversation. Um, let's move on again. Um, some more of the queries that, that are coming in here. Um, a feed for a five-year-old laurel hedging. A five-year laurel hedging. Well, I'll put it this way to you. At this stage, you can introduce grow more if you want growth. Now, the first thing you have to do with that laurel hedging, look and see, is there a yellowing of the leaves? If you have a yellowing of leaves in laurel, the chances are the iron that's in the soil isn't available to that plant. It gets locked up for a multiple of reasons, John. I'd need to talk to you about it in much, much longer terms. But if there's a yellowing in the leaves, it means the iron available in the soil, it could be there. Truth of it is, it's locked up. So uh, again, use something high iron, the likes of sequestered iron or some of the other uh, acidic plant foods. That's what you need for laurel. All right, okay. Um, uh, next message that we have this time is in connection with red robin. What about cutting back red robin now? Well, the colour, I mean, red robin really and truly is a plant that needs to be managed. You have to cut it back. Wait till the colour goes out of it. It's probably fairly high up now. What happens with the red robin, every single year it goes up a foot in height. So when it comes to eye level, you cannot actually see the colour. Uh, now is a good time to prune it, yeah? That was the question. Now, the other thing about Photinia red robin, it has been overtaken by several other Photinias that are much more manageable. The likes of Carrie Rouge, it's the one we're stocking now. Great colour plant. Uh, but that particular red robin, cut it back. Um, one of the questions that may have maybe caught us slightly off-centre a little bit earlier on, we, our listeners got back in contact with us and they're telling us it might have been the predictive text that took over. Uh, we were on about two pills. It was actually tulips. So the spelling there kind of threw us there yes. in relation to that. So there you go. Tulips is what the, was what the query was about, Liam. Now, the thing about tulips... Tulips, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Hard to manage tulips year on year because each year the tulip breaks down into three or four separate smaller tulips. As the tulips get smaller, they do not flower. So you might have a lot of leaf. And But in fairness, two things. Species tulips, not as colourful, but they are an everlasting tulip, are the Darwin varieties. That's your apple dorns, your golden apple dorn, your 
red apple darn whatever so you need to watch if it happens to be a fringed tulip uh, truth of it is it's a one year wonder dig it out after flowering uh, what you can actually do in fairness if you get tulips as they go off flowering and they start to get a little yellow you can turn them out harvest them like we used to harvest onions or we do harvest onions uh, before the bulb breaks down and then it's suitable again for next year. Okay, a couple more on the red robin. Um, Will a slip from a red robin tree grow? Not at this point. It will later on, but not at this, this point. And again, I think we may have had this one very similar to it, at least a little bit earlier. Red robin again in the garden, very, very red at present. Is it a good time to cut back? Oh, definitely not. Enjoy your colour because that'll be gone in a fortnight. So enjoy your colour if it's if it's four foot or five foot. Uh, as soon as the colour goes out of it, get in, cut it back as hard as you want because you'll be bringing the colour back down in the plant. It will uh, break leaves from a bare stem in most circumstances. Okay, and one or two final ones, Liam. Um, is it? Is there a liquid rose food that's possible to use now that would be good, again, in the form of a powdered feed. So is there a liquid rose food for roses in a, in a pebble area that is as good as a powdered feed, if that well, makes sense? Uh, it does make sense, John. I wouldn't use liquid feed just yet because it's just like grabbing a, a can of Red Bull. I mean, you give yourself that little rush of energy. So liquid feeds actually are very good when roses are in flower because they, they're taken up pretty much straight away. You might need to use something more granulated at this point because there's no flowers on roses just yet. But I'd be cautious of using liquid feed because it's there, it's used and it's gone within right. a matter of three days. Okay, one final one, Liam, I'm just going to put to you for this week. Um, could you ask, Liam, what's the best hedge to use in boggy ground? In boggy ground, uh, what will I just think now? Lelandi is always, and I'm not a, a supporter of Lelandi, but one thing about it is it is a conifer that will take those terrible conditions, right? Uh, beech needs it dry. Leagnus needs it relatively dry. I think that's a question that that listener could ring us on because I needed just a couple of minutes to think what is her best solution, and mm-hmm. photographs are always very valuable. Absolutely. So anybody that may have photographs or anything like that, they can show you maybe what the ground in question looks like, and you can make maybe a more of an informed decision uh, from there. That's probably the best thing to do with that question, because it's a loaded question, and I could could give you entirely the wrong advice. 